This is the Roaring Elephant Podcast. I'm joined by my only slightly fragmented co-host, Jon. Hello, Jon. Fragmented, okay. Hand, hand, foot, foot. I seem to be intact here. I guess my Kubernetes uh, is running well. <laughs> maybe maybe you've got some internal fragmentation. Oh, yeah. I mean, let's not go into the depths of my memory because it's so deep it's bottomless. <laughs> Slash devnal, hey? Uh-huh. See? It's so simpatico. I was thinking that you saying it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are continuing the journey through the misunderstandings of open source, as at least as outlined by uh, Gordon Half, who is a technology evangelist at Red Hat. And the fourth understanding, and final one at least in this article, is... Open source is a source of fragmentation. And I mean, I I think it is a source of fragmentation. I think it's a source of fragmentation by design. And it's like the very reason that open source is successful is because someone takes an idea that's maybe been done before and goes, huh. I wonder what would happen if you did it this way instead and kicks off a project and does a thing. And maybe that thing is successful and maybe it's not. But I think in this context, I think open source is a continual source of fragmentation. And I think the fragmentation in this sense is good and is by design. By design means that somebody sat down and thought, we should make this fragmented because... I don't think that happens. I mean, you're right, it is fragmented. I mean, we're giving away at the start here. We should wait our conclusion till the end of the episode, I guess. But now you've done with cats out of the bag. So yeah, I do agree. Fragmentation is part, a parcel of open source and it's always going to be there because of the way it works. I don't think it's by design, though. I think it's more of a consequence of how the thing is working and there is no other way it could be working. So there's no solution for the fragmentation, although... In the article, the author does kind of mention the things like the Open Container Initiative and Kubernetes trying to tie things together a little bit again. But the whole the whole premise that you need open source projects to solve the fragmentation problem kind of clearly proves the fact that it's fragmented, right? <laughs> yeah, like I, I just, I don't really get the author's argument here. I mean, I, I do understand that standards do spring up as a as a necessary part of enterprise adoption of technology you know people need standards that they feel they can kind of stand behind and develop against and all that kind of other stuff but the standards tend to be relatively speaking sort of of the moment of the flavor of the moment now that moment could be over a period of a good 10, 15 years maybe. But that doesn't mean that, you know, something or something that uh, springs up will now be the standard forever. Um, I don't, you know, we've, we, a number of times we've talked about things like the, the OpenStack project, which at one time, you know, was, was lauded to be, mm. you know, the next kind of major standard for um, container and virtualization orchestration at scale. And yeah, we had we talked about the various different projects that sprung up around container orchestration. And yes, Kubernetes 
at least today, appears to have very much, mm. you know, won that uh, that particular sort of competitive situation and become the de facto standard. But something being the de facto standard that like, could be toppled tomorrow by a new <laughs> de facto standard. Like, that's that's how these. That's literally how these kind of these projects kind of spring up. You know, something is used by a lot of people. Something else springs up that has different features, different values, different functionality, different approach to things that is potentially more valuable or more useful or more easy to adopt or higher performing or, you know, targeting a different area. And that gains mind share, gains interest, gains adoption, and eventually becomes the new standard. Yeah, I mean, I slightly disagree there because while it's true that technology can be surpassed by something new every minute of the day, it could happen at any moment, communities are harder to replace. And mm -hmm. Kubernetes has been around for a, quite a while now. It's the de facto standard and it has a huge community. And for that entire community to just flop to something else, it would take something very specific to happen, a scandal, whatever, there things happened with file systems, for example, where something was touted to be in the yeah. next file system and something happened to the developer. I'm not going to look at the details here because I don't want to mention that. But those are reasons why a community could just fragment because something happened socially more than technology. Kubernetes, on the other hand, will the technology change? Probably. But I would assume, expect, uh, I'm going to predict, huh, that the change will be coming from within the project. And that's something that's new, I think, on open source today. We're finally at a point where these open source projects can become this large that they can actually evolve within the project. While before, and I think uh, Hadoop was a good example of that, somebody built something, it split off, it forked something, built something else, forked off, built something else, and that was really fragmenting more and more and more. Mm -hmm. Up to the point that, I mean, the, the whole architecture of big data, I think that those are the first ones that I forget his name, I also get his name. He drew those things. The Hadoop ones were huge. Now there's new ones for cloud native and stuff like that, which are even bigger. But that mm -hmm. was really when it's, that was a way to work. You didn't really change. The project was a project. If you want to do something more or less different, you kind of had to fork and build your own project and see if the community moved with you. Now there's a couple of projects out there, the Kubernetes I think is a poster child, that is so big that it actually has enough gravity to keep mm. the community together while moving to other things. And one of the things that they are doing at the moment, if I'm not mistaken, I'm not that deep into it, is the whole Docker thing. They're kind of moving away from Docker to other versions of containerization to kind mm. of remove that um, dependency, let's call it that, because people wanted to move away from it. And there was a risk there that it would have fragmented. You had the Kubernetes for Docker and the Kubernetes for non-Docker. And that didn't happen. It just, in the Kubernetes environment, it, the project evolved to embrace that other functionality. And that's where I could kind of agree with the author of the article then that fragmentation is potentially, well, not gonna go away. Because again, the open source thing, as, we men as you mentioned earlier, it's kind of part of the whole, uh, the way things are in open source. But for the things that, uh, we're talking about enterprise open source software, so the really big stuff, foundational stuff, it does seem like there's at least a potential that that is going to remain less fragmented, more stable. 
maybe i'm not i tried so hard not, business i tried so hard uh, i'm not entirely <laughs> convinced like i i do think that there is a i still think there is a potential for there to be a another like phase shift i i do agree that it's not just a, it can't just be a technology and a a project shift like the the community the the base community would also need to shift but again like the the perfect example of that to me was the the shift from from openstack to kubernetes for so many people like that 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 happened over the course of you know definitely over many years but you know, one of those has risen and the other one has definitely kind of sunk away into mm. relatively kind of niche areas. The, the ones that I think are more interesting probably to talk about are things like, um, like not so much what's happening, happened in the big data space, but maybe more of the kind of ML AI sort of space. Like what do you think in terms of that that feels to me more like a set of ecosystems where there could be more kind of continual fragmentation where you know something something new pops up you know what's the i don't know the next challenger to tensorflow or something like that um that starts mm -hmm. to gain more adoption more interest and tensorflow fades away and this new thing is that or am i am i kind of uh um i think you're not wrong but my first gut reaction was, why would I care? Because the whole machine learning uh, AI stuff, it's getting embedded in enterprise software. You don't mm. care if it's TensorFlow or CNTK. As long as it does the thing, it does the thing. So there's a bit of a level difference here where when people talk about machine learning and artificial intelligence, we're actually talking about algorithms, about mathematics, about theory mm. and Sure, new theories happen all the day. On the other hand, MapReduce has been around since the old Greeks. So it's not that it's going to happen definitely, but yes, things will change. Is that a fragmentation? I don't know. Finding a new way that adds one-to-one -one faster um, in a chip, for example, doesn't necessarily cause fragmentation. It's again more of an evolution. And as I mentioned in the earlier episode last week, we're talking about HPC academia where they they, they discover this new stuff. I mean, quantum is going to be huge in, in 40 <laughs> years or 30 years. What is the, the meme? I forget. Um, but again, because it's all going to get embedded, there's going to be a level of stability on top of that ever-changing underneath. And the people that really care are going to be in that academic world that are fine with it because they don't have million-dollar projects, well, maybe budgets are assigned that way, but it's a different way. You understand what I mean, right? For the enterprise, again, yeah, it's fragmented. It's changing all the time, but uh, I get my predictive maintenance. I've got my uh, directed advertising, what I want to call it. I don't mm. care. But you use the word evolution there. I think that's probably closer to what I meant when I said initially kind of by design. I do think that the evolution of open source is through fragmentation. I think it is through people who take something and go, oh yeah, I think I think this yeah. this concept is interesting. You can't say that way. But well I think it 
can, but I think you you bring up you brought up an interesting point about some projects being large enough that fragmentation, and I, I think the problem is that fragmentation has a very negative connotation. Like you, the the term fragmentation has a negative con connotation. But if you were to say replace fragmentation with the word evolution, everyone would be, oh yes, that that's that's a great way yeah. to describe it. But you can't because fragmentation brings your uh, fight or flight response because it brings change. Evolution, it's evolution versus revolution. Evolution is mm. soft, the upgrade, you just meander on without any big things happening. Fragmentation, at least a revolution where you kind of have to throw away all the Linux because now we're doing everything on XYZ, new, new kernel comes out. And for we're talking enterprise open source software in this article and for enterprises, predictability, I think I mentioned that in the first or the second misconception, mm. is very important for enterprises. They want to have the predictability that return on investment plan in the next 10, 15, 25 years before they'll start spending money. If you can make them believe it's evolution, that means it's manageable. It's something that will happen over time and they will be able to grow over time. What they're scared of is we're going to put, we're going to bet the house on um, Kubernetes. Why not? Well, let's use Kubernetes. And there, if they have a sentiment that tomorrow, next month, next year, that investment might not have the benefits they planned for, that gives them That's frightening. That's scary. That's not something they want to do. And I do still think today that the fragmentation is real enough. Again, Kubernetes, I think, is more or less a safe bet due to the size of it, and a couple of others are out there like that. But if you're looking at, um, yeah, the, the big data, I mean, Hadoop happened when it happened. It could not happen anymore today mm. because it was one of the first really big movements that kind of clumped together a lot of fragmented things into a single distribution on a couple of uh, three vendors at that point, and that made it possible. Now it would be an expectation, and the MapReduce, uh, the, which was basically the uh, what you call it, the, the, the MapReduce library. Sorry, Hadoop was a MapReduce library plus the HDFS file system. That was a way two product. Mm -hmm. It would never, that would not be acceptable these days. It would have to be more of a better fitting together of parts before it would ever get adopted in any way in a way that was adopted uh, ten years ago. Yeah. I, I think I disagree with you in terms of the of fragmentation versus evolution versus revolution. I, I think that because when we're talking about fragmentation from a open source project adoption, like it does happen slowly. It is, I believe it is closer to evolution than it is to revolution. Like if you see like an open source project very rarely will come out of nowhere and utterly disrupt everything else that is currently in place. That's not projects don't really, generally speaking, spring up like that. And if someone out there can think of one, um, it's not the springing up means going away. Yeah, but th that's that's how things get consumed, though, isn't it? Like the. A project can can spring up and gain adoption. Like it gains adoption by pulling adoption away from other locations. Mm -hmm. Like there's only so many people consuming, you know, web servers or whatever. You know, to pick any sort of 
open source project that you like or project type that you like, but it's the shifts happen over fairly large, fairly long, fairly manageable kind of periods of time. And as projects mature, if they start to see, oh, like I'm, this is actually starting to become something fairly large, fairly, um, you know, fairly focused, fairly interesting, like the majority of cases, people build in like guides on, you know, how to migrate from other competing technologies, automation to smooth that, that migration. They provide sort of methods for easing those kinds of, of transitions. And again, it's not something like you don't, these things don't pop up and down like a game of whack-a-mole. Like enterprises don't move that quick enough. Like communities, to your point earlier, don't move that quick enough. So I, I still think that fragmentation is closer to evolution because it has those kinds of controls on it, like larger widespread adoption. Like yeah. those just don't happen overnight. But, but that's modern. That's today. And that's what I was trying to mm. say with the whole Kubernetes thing. Because yeah. the communities are bigger, things like having a migration path is necessary. I mean, if on an example of a very quick shift, MySQL to MariaDB, it happened in two months' time. Yeah. Why? Because license changed. Yeah. Well, but to your point earlier, that was a that was an external external uh, factor to influence. make. But again, it yeah. made my SQL suddenly become, oh, we don't want that anymore. And MariaDB popped up and everybody shifted over to MariaDB. It was a plug-in replacement. I mean, you could just yep. uninstall MySQL, install MariaDB, nothing changed. Why? Because today it would not be acceptable anymore because we have the big communities, we have people expecting this kind of stuff. But in the olden days, uh, I mean, things happened a lot faster. And that fragmentation, I think, has, bred, has been bred out of open source a little bit because of necessity. Because now that it's no longer just hobby projects, it is, open, it is enterprise open source. Big companies, big communities, human beings are depending on it. It has brought a certain amount of maturity to the whole open source environment to make that work better and reduce or indeed translate the revolutionary fragmentation, how I see it, into the more linear evolution um, that works. And that's what I said. That's what I kind of what I said. This is where the world of open source is moving towards and it's going to move further towards that stability. Again, because the potential is there, the people are there, the technology is there, and the attention is there. Yeah. I mean, maybe another example, uh, and I, I actually had to go and kind of look this up on the fly was, um, you know, the evolution of, of web servers, um, for a very, very long time, the, the most dominant web server was Apache with something like at its height, I'm sure it was something like 90 plus yeah. percent of all web servers were powered by Apache. And now actually Nginx is 33%, 33.1% uh, of the market. Apache is only 31%. Cloudflare server is 21% because of all of the, uh, um, all of the caching and everything else that yeah. happens and the CDN, that's it. And then, you know, it, it goes on down for very tiny amounts below that, you know, 12.2% light speed, 6% IIS. And then be, below that, everything is less than, less than 1%, most things 0.1%. Yeah. So 
you know, that happened, you know, the, the Apache to Nginx shift happened over the course of probably 10 years. Yeah, it was kind of gradual. I mean, there were different use cases as well, right? I mean, uh, the most use that I see for Nginx, and I am a representative of one, is uh, proxy mm -hmm. servers. And Nginx allows you to do things like reverse proxies and things like that, which Apache was never built for. I mean, it can do that. Yeah. But it's a lot easier, a lot more elegant than Nginx. Nginx has a kind of a different, broader um, use case than Apache, which is still just big air quotes, uh, a web server. But um, yeah, that went very yeah. gradual. That, and again, because the install base was so massive and nothing really happened with the Apache project, it just kept yeah. on doing their thing. And we're talking about the Apache yeah. HTTPD project now, not the Apache yeah, yeah, Foundation. Yeah. Foundation. And I mean, that's also a good one, of course. The Apache HTTPD actually led to the Apache Foundation kind of environment. Mm. And that pretty much ensures that HTTPD, the Apache web server, is never going to go away. Because well, until it gets until it gets retired to the attic. Oh, that's going to be a sad day. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're, to be clear, I think we're a very, very, very long way away from that ever being a thing. But yeah, I, I think it's. So I I think the misunderstanding, for me at least, I don't think is valid in the way that the author is presenting it. This to me feels more like, you know, someone that is coming from an open source vendor perspective that wants to uh, present everything as like enterprise, quote unquote, like stable and big sort of, uh, you know, you can, you can put all your money on us and like there's nothing, nothing will ever change. Like we'll always be the thing that we are. And I just think that's a little bit disingenuous. Like fragmentation is like in my mind, at least is another way to describe um, innovation and the innovation happening in the open source community. So I don't think fragmentation is a bad thing. I do think that, um, that, open source is a source of fragmentation and i i think it it happens in terms of the way that it impacts enterprise open source i think it happens relatively slowly and it's not something to be as afraid of as perhaps you know do mongers maybe maybe positioning it as such yeah, but that's kind of putting the horse for the cart, right? Because the moment you talk about enterprise open source, you specifically mention open source that is not that suffering from fragmentation or else it would never mm -hmm. become enterprise open source. So that's kind of solves each other. Uh, but I do think the misunderstanding is correct enough in the way that the adopters of open source in the enterprise need to be aware there will be less of a monolithical approach and more of a... Yeah different things having to work together. And that idea of fragmentation is definitely true and something you need to be aware of. If you're gonna do a forklift upgrade of your enterprise, whatever it is with open source, enterprise open source software, be aware that that will be a different way of working. But I think when the discussion we had is, it's gonna be fine. People are aware of this, things are built around yep. it and you will get supported by the communities or by your vendors. And in the end, you'll probably end up with a better environment. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Anything else from you? Nope. I think with that, we have put the nail in the last coffin of misunderstandings of enterprise open source. And with that, that's all the time we have for today. 
You can support this podcast. You can become a patron. Contributions do help. We are on YouTube. You can like, subscribe, watch uh, videos, hit notification bells, make Dave happy. You can go to www.roaringelephant.org. There's links to the Patreon page, the YouTube page, and more information about the podcast. And you can follow us on Twitter using the at Elephant tag. You can still send your feedback or ideas for new episodes to podcast at roaringelephant.org. And with that, until next time, my name is uh, totally well understood, John. And my name is Defragmented Dave. Good one. We look forward to talking to you again next week. Goodbye. See you then.